Hello everybody and welcome to episode 100 of Fuds on Films podcast. I am Craig Eastman and with me tonight, Scott Morris. Hello. Uh, yes, episode 100. Uh, we thought we would do something really special for this and crack on with a completely normal episode. So that's the <laughs> last time you'll hear us reference episode 100. Unless there's anything you want to say, Scott? Um, No. Excellent. In that case, then, <laughs> for your listing pleasure, on this occasion, we will be contrasting uh, American Werewolf in London from 1981 with 2002's Dog Soldiers because werewolves. <laughs> so, well, you see, it's spring and a young man's thoughts turn to renewal and evisceration by wolves. Excess body hair. <laughs> And and on that note, I suppose we should probably crack on. (laughs) Oh, so then, Scott, which of these bad boys are we going to look at first? Shall we take a look at American Werewolf in London first, I suppose? Why don't we then? Because that's how it worked in time. Um, Yes, so two young American lads, David and Jack, played by David Norton and Griffin Dunn, respectively, find themselves against all logic and reason hitchhiking across the Yorkshire moors, opting to park up for the night in a small village. Royston Vasey, I think it was called. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, they find that the local pub is for local people and they want no trouble there, in particular the sort of trouble that comes with questioning their pentagram-based decor system. Brian Glover of the Tetley Ads tells them to sling their hook with a warning to stay on the roads. Because a film needs to occur, they ignore this and wander off into the wilds, only to find wilds staring back at them. Jack is savaged by, spoiler warning, a werewolf, <laughs> but before, from, before from David... out of the left field. <laughs> yes. Who would have thunk it? Uh, But before David can be entirely eviscerated, the guilt-ridden, gun-toting locals show up to euthanise the lupine aggressor. Waking up mostly healed a few weeks later in a London hospital, David is shocked to find that Jack is dead, and soon after even more shocked to find that Jack still wanders the earth as a decaying ghost, which seems to be a zombie gimmick infringement really. Jack's unable to rest until the werewolf bloodline is ended, and that blood is right now running through David's veins. He pleads with David to take his own life before he flips out and eats a busload of school kids or something. But half convinced he's going insane, David confines all this to nurse Alex Price, played by Jenny Agator, who mollifies him and starts a slightly awkward relationship, but one doomed to be rather short term as, well, David flips out and turns into a werewolf, doing a spot of the old ultraviolence throughout old London town. A London as a young-ish Alan Ford snatches Bricktop as a cabbie, oddly enough. So, uh, apparently this is termed a cult classic these days, which is a pretty loose application of the term, given that it was a successful film at the time, and certainly much more commercially successful than director John Landis' film the year earlier, the vastly superior Blues Brothers. But that's not to say that An American Werewolf in London is bad. It's an easy and enjoyable watch, but not one that I think I'll ever have any urge to return to after this first, as far as I can remember, viewing. It's billed as a comedy horror, and it's certainly leaning much more heavily on the comedy part, Except where, abruptly, it is not, and there's a few moments of very real tonal whiplash here, not just in conflict between horror and comedy either, witness the ending of it where, and well, spoiler warning again I suppose, for a film that's about as old as I am, uh, Jenny Agutter is, at the end of the film, doing a pretty good job of looking devastated after the SCO-19 coppers have gunned Dave Wolf down, only for a slam cut into the credits and the, for my liking, insufficiently baleful Bad Moon Rising <laughs> over it. A little bit of credence there, just to, just to hit the right <laughs> emotional beat. Uh, yeah, a lot of the film feels as though it's a kind of hammer horror parody. You know, the, the Americans are running around being glib to the point of almost breaking the fourth wall, where all the English actors are taking it 
pretty seriously until, I guess, at least the final act where the special effects team takes over and starts slopping the claret around, and David victims show up to offer suggestions on how he should kill himself. As for the horror elements, well, this is not a scary film by any stretch of the imagination, and even the decapitations are rather more for comedy value than shock value. Uh, It does, however, bust out an especially effective transformation special effect. Mm. How special? Uh, I'm kind of wondering if the film is largely made to allow the transformation effect to be shown, rather than any other sort of narrative imperative. (laughs) One gets the impression that it started started with that scene and trickled outwards to, uh, you know, in either direction. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Which I suppose broadly fits with the John Landis brand. There's some great, Mm. hugely enjoyable films in his catalogue, but even the outings that were heavier on story are really just frameworks to hang gags from. And, well, there's nothing wrong with that. And American Werewolf in London deserves its place as an enduringly enjoyable watch, if not a film that's going to shake anyone's worldview. Aye, I won't be watching it again anytime soon. Um, I'm glad that I did watch it on this occasion. I've somehow managed to go through my um, life uh, without having Mm. watched this as you point out, uh, erroneously labelled cult classic. Um, (laughs) That's one of those um, pictures which seems to be a real touchstone for a lot of people of our generation. Yeah, Uh, You'll get a weird look from people when you go, oh no, I've never seen American Way, you what? What? (laughs) You know, the bar goes silent yeah. and all of the locals turn and stare at you. <laughs> he said he's never seen American Werewolf in London. Um, I've never missed that dartboard before. <laughs> that's, that's probably the best line in the film. Um, yeah, so I was looking forward. Um, I was looking forward to watching American Werewolf in London because of its reputation um, and because so many people I know speak of it so highly. And yeah. I was, I was broadly disappointed. Like you say, it's an enjoyable watch. It's um, it's a bit of a palate cleanser more than anything else, to be honest with you. It's, it's, it's very slight. It certainly it? is, but it's... then in keeping with a lot of John Landis's catalogue, as, as you point out, Scott, yeah. I mean, what what has John Landis ever done for us? Well, I agree with you. I love the Blues Brothers. I'm not a fan of that frat house um, sort of comedy thing. And Animal House, no. I, I, I think I lasted about half an hour into that, and um, yeah. it, it completely um, turned me off. Again, held in such reverence that... Uh, I'm not entirely sure where that's come from, but it certainly seemed to cement his uh, his career at that point. And I'll let him off with the Blues Brothers, even though, like most of his back catalogue, as you say, it's it's a loose framework to hang gags off. I think is what you said, Scott. I just I always yeah. think about his films largely being sort of little vignettes cobbled together around some sort of vague narrative. Um, yeah, very vague narrative. And I've just listen, I. I love Blues Brothers. I don't really care one way or the other about trading places, if I'm honest with you. Coming to America, I didn't really find as funny as a lot of other people seem to find it. And I paid good money to go and see Beverly Hills Cop 3 in a cinema, and it's possibly (laughs) the worst thing I ever have seen in a cinema. Um, (laughs) And that was the point at which me and John Landis went separate ways. Let's not forget he also managed to kill Vic Morrow with a helicopter. Which I think was somewhat remiss of him, uh, so I'm not as I'm not as big as fan, but I was looking forward to to uh, to watching this. It is built from a central idea that seems to have been, as far as I can tell, I can imagine this having sprung up from a conversation between John Landis and Rick Baker, whose effects work is whose physical effects work and his practical effects work is superb, and still some of the the makeup effects. The stuff applied to uh, Griffin Dunn's character 
um, in mm. particular, really, really cool. Even now, they've got a they've got a yeah. really good look about them, um, and they're certainly certainly. Although one can tell it's latex, it still looks a good a good deal uh, more realistic than some CG stuff. Uh, you know, knocking yeah. about in, in latter years. And I can imagine the conversation between Rick Baker and John Landis, where Rick Baker says, I've got this, uh, been working on this sort of like pneumatic uh, maquette uh, system where I can make it look like <laughs> limbs and stuff are stretching. I thought it'd be really cool yeah. to uh, to do this werewolf transformation scene. And that's absolutely what yeah. has happened. And they have built <laughs> yeah. a film out on either side that has no idea... I don't think John Landis has any idea what a film is or what a film does, to be honest with you, but American <laughs> Werewolf in London certainly doesn't. But I will say, the reverence with which that transformation scene is held, um, I was prepared to be disappointed, and, and yes, by today's standards, overall, it does look a bit hokey. I only ever hear people talking about Rick Baker's effects in that scene. For me, what really, really sold it was um, your man, uh, and I've completely forgotten his name now, um, David Naughton. David Naughton's performance. Mm-hmm. He sells the agony of that transformation hard. And that, yeah. <laughs> that is what made it work for me, mate. I don't care about the, the, the clever edits and um, the uh, the effects work. David, David Naughton earned every cent of his paycheck in, in that <laughs> scene. Um, and uh, that that is interesting to see, certainly. Someone... Someone working amongst that heavy makeup, given that sort of commitment in a performance and it actually paying off, I was really, really impressed, actually. The film does have its lighter moments, um, but it's nowhere near as funny as the other film we'll talk about on this podcast, I don't think. Um, but it does it does have, it does strike a nice balance between the horror and the comedy elements, but I don't think, I don't think it doubles down on either of those enough, really, to satisfy. Yeah. I think that's its main problem. It's just neither here nor there, really. And I don't know, Scott, maybe I'm missing something, but I think, I suspect this is just very much a product of its time. And for for those who were of an age to have seen it upon its original release, I can understand that something like this will probably um, sit with the generation as something that they hold quite dearly beloved. Um, but for me now, coming to it with my faculties as they are, um, at the tender age of 38... Um, an American werewolf virgin <laughs> up until this point. Um, I, yeah, I wasn't. I didn't find it a, 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 you know, I didn't find it a hearty enough meal, Scott. Yeah, uh, it was one of these films that you, it's doomed to be recommended to genre fans. But in this particular case, I'm not quite sure what genre fan would be recommending it to because it's not quite horror. You say it's not quite a comedy. No. Um, but if you like things that fall between two stools, I guess then give this one a, one a go. Um, I, I say. I think if you invest your 90 minutes or whatever it is into this, I don't think anyone's going to feel robbed by mm. it. But uh, it's certainly not something that if you've not seen by this point, I think really deserves to be uh, put to the top of anyone's list. Yes. I think if you've if you've gone this far in life without it, I don't think you are um, necessarily going to be benefit greatly from missing out on something <laughs> something else in favour of watching this, <laughs> put it that way. Rick Mail in the in the... Slaughtered lamb, apparently. I'm just looking there at uh, IMDb. Didn't notice him, but such is life. Although it was good to see Brian Glover back in charge of rumour control. (laughs) Indeed. Uh, Shall we we move on to Dog Soldiers, Scott? Yes, let's crack on then. Um, I rather enjoyed Dog Soldiers back in the day, and it holds a certain amount of nostalgia as well, being one of the earliest reviews on our old theoneliner.com site back at the tail end of 2002. Hello, I am an old man. (laughs) Um, <laughs> it was my first review for the site, Scott. Yes, yes it was. 
So as a film, Dog Soldiers is efficient to the point of needing almost no recap whatsoever. After a preamble to set up an enmity between Private Cooper, played by Kevin Kidd, and arsehole SAS Captain Ryan, Liam Cunningham, best known these days as Davos Seaworth off Game of Thrones, Cooper and his unit, headed by Sean Pertwee's Sergeant Wells, is dispatched on a training exercise to a remote Scotch Highland location. This almost immediately goes south as they find the nod-on remains of the SAS unit they're supposed to be training against, and a badly injured Captain Ryan who's gibbering something that plainly can't be about werewolves, lord no. Oh no, they're attacked by werewolves. Uh, Although it does take them a surprising amount of time to admit this to themselves, they fall back to the only home around for miles, with the aid of local zoologist Megan, played by Emma Cleesby, and try to survive this assault and to escape this mess now. Certainly a lot more details to it than that, but not, I think, anything that's worth repeating in this context. It's not been as long, of course, but age hasn't really affected dog soldiers either, uh, by which I mean that the werewolves looked pretty crappy back in the day, and they (laughs) They look similarly (laughs) crappy now. They haven't aged a day. (laughs) Crap werewolf is timeless. Yes. Uh, it's covered up mostly by showing between showing as little as possible of them and uh, keeping them shrouded in the darkness for the most part. But let's just say they don't really stand up to the inspection in the harsh light of day, uh, which does in a couple of scenes not to anyone's <laughs> satisfaction. So if, if, American, if an American werewolf in London was a comedy horror that's more comedy than horror, Dog Soldiers is an action comedy that's moved aliens into a forest replace xenomorphs with lycanthropes, and throw it in the odd one-liner here and there, including one character named purely for a grown monthly Matrix reference. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which I'd completely forgotten about until yeah. I watched it the other night, yeah. It's like, it's terrible, but it's also great. <laughs> I also <laughs> laughed, again. <laughs> um, not completely this, sure that this film would seem to work from just reading the script. Uh, but mm. when it's on, on camera, uh, the squad have a believable camaraderie that lets more of these uh, jokes land than they perhaps ought to. Uh, it helps that, being British, there's a lot less swaggering involved from the soldiers, and that makes them a hell of a lot more relatable. Kevin Kidd is a solid anchor for the events, although it's Sean Pertwee that's getting most of the best lines, and perhaps the better effects work, because he's being... reviscerated? <laughs> that's presumably the term for having your guts super glued back into your body, right? <laughs> Uh, so yes, if you go to this expecting an authentic horror experience, you'll most likely be disappointed by Dog Soldiers. However, as a low-budget action flick that's not taking itself too seriously, this remains an enjoyable, if, again, far from essential watch, uh, but certainly one that's much more deserving of the cult classic label than An American Werewolf in London. <laughs> and how, and how. Mm-hmm. I um, I remember having a real riot watching this at the cinema at the time, Scott. Yeah. And before I go any further, I just want to apologise to Luxembourg. because when i re when i revisited my review which as you pointed out an early review i think the third review ever posted on our old website over at the one liner Mm -hmm. uh, and my first my first review and and boy does it show um (laughs) i made the comment that my only real gripe would be the lack of use made by the cinematographers of the stunning scenery but i'll forgive this on the grounds that a country the size of a first class stamp probably has relatively little anyway (laughs) well given the given the precarious position our country will find itself in about a year from now scott um, Luxembourg will probably be punching above us in terms of GDP at that point and so I would just 
I would just like to extend an apology to the fine, fine people of Luxembourg <laughs> for for that comment. And can we please erase that from the website? Um, <laughs> yeah, I had a I had a real hoot watching this at the cinema. I remembered certain lines. I remember Drew in particular um, being taken by the line oh, "sausages." Um, <laughs> and, um, but I was surprised watching it again actually how much of the comedy I'd forgotten and how much of the, the nice little comic touches I'd forgotten. I did, I yeah. did. this was the first time I watched it since the cinema. I haven't revisited it in between, um, perhaps, like shamefully, West, yeah. yeah. And it didn't start out promisingly this time. I don't remember the dialogue and the few, the sort of opening few scenes being quite as turgid as it actually is. Yeah. And the sort of camaraderie between the troops early on felt very forced. Um, and a lot of the dialogue felt very forced. Um, it didn't come across that there was a, a, a natural chemistry between these people at all. Fortunately, that improves greatly as the film goes on. Um, and <sighs> werewolf movie, yeah, yeah, it's a siege movie, basically. It's any other siege movie. Yeah. But Neil Marshall, working with a budget of about £2.50, £2.25 <laughs> of which was spent blowing up a house at the end, <laughs> um, works absolute wonders, to be honest. It's super rough. It's really unpolished, but it's absolutely aware of its shortcomings and its limitations, and it and it plays to its strengths. And when it does turn on the gore, it is occasionally, um, it is occasionally, um, briefly sort of shocking, um, yeah. and it does do that trade off between you know um, scares and laughs incredibly, incredibly well. There was one apart from the this, there is no spoon. <laughs> Line, which you've got to imagine and another 10 years from now who is going to get that joke yes right? <laughs> that's like oh my god that is like for someone you know they might as well have mentioned MySpace or something um, there was one bit in particular where one of the guys is barricading a door and he's he's hammering a 2 by 4 across the door and he's banging away without breaking a beat this werewolf's this werewolf's claw comes through the letterbox and he goes from bang, bang, bang on a 2 before to bang, 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 bang on the werewolf's hand. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 only, it's only half a second of film, but it's really, really cracked me up and it's just really <laughs> indicative of the tone. It really encapsulates the, the tone that the film overall strikes that I really, really appreciated. It's a bog-standard siege movie with werewolves made on a on a. a a budget of like a packet of crisps and it is yeah. such a riot I, um, I'm, I feel ashamed that I've not gone back to watch it since. Yeah, it is very enjoyable and I say that the tone is definitely more for laughs <laughs> as well like, there's a very similar scene where they're trying to keep one of the werewolves out and uh, poor, poor Sean Bertouille sitting in the corner having his guts being taken apart by one of the dogs <laughs> that's walking around <laughs> the dogs like, are down bandages up <laughs> yes. help <laughs> Oh dear! Um, if you haven't, if you haven't watched it, um, a, a lot of people, I would imagine, more people will be familiar with the Descent, which I yes. think still remains probably uh, Neil Marshall's best film. It wasn't all that sold on Doomsday, and he hasn't done a lot of <laughs> Doomsday was absolutely <laughs> terrible. I, I enjoyed it because it was so bad, yeah. but yeah, it yeah. was a horrible, horrible. He film. hasn't done a lot of cinema uh, work since, apart from I think something called Centurion. I think he's done mostly TV stuff since then. Yes, and some of the best, you know, Game of Thrones episodes as well. Yeah, um, that sort of stuff. So, Game yeah, of Thrones, Westworld, Hannibal. So he's he's still he's still got profile, um, yeah. and there's no there's no shame to be had in directing um, a TV series uh, currently as TV goes through its um, its uh, second or third golden age. But um, yes. 
Yeah, uh, this is uh, this is an interesting precursor to Doomsday, which I assume more people will be familiar with. But where Doomsday is played absolutely straight, this is a really nice blend of horror and comedy that American Werewolf wishes it could be. Um, and when it when it's nasty, it really is nasty. And when it's funny, it's really, really funny. Um, it's mm. very unsophisticated. It's very rough around the edges. Like you say, the script on paper probably reads terribly. Um, so it's testimony to cast and crew, really, that this works as well as it does. And you can tell everybody involved must have had a whale of a time making it. Um, and yes, uh, hats off to them. Little gem. Yes, definitely worth uh, digging out if you can find it and watching it. I don't know if it's available to stream anywhere, but it's... Certainly available on the internet, and it's well worth <laughs> taking a look at. Have you, whatever do you mean, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> I mean through shopping sites such as Amazon <laughs> and Play.com, if that still exists. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, yeah, cool. Is there anything else we want to talk about? Where else did we get any feedback from the Twitters? Just the one from at Blake Wrights, Perpetual Dumb Machine, on Twitter, um, of the I'm the Host podcast, of course. He feels that the viscerality of the transformations was kind of undercut by the wolf on wheels look of the animal <laughs> scenes in American Werewolf, uh, but he recalls the comedy being decent. And Dog Soldiers, he remembered liking more the second time he watched mm. it, with a decent blend of action and horror. Um, I, I do wonder how well it travels outside of the UK, because yeah. I don't know, how, quite a lot of that humour is a little bit Brit-specific. Not all of it by any means, but yes. some of it maybe a bit uh, parochial. Aye, indeed. I think the humour, but also I can imagine some of the uh, the accents being quite uh, flummoxing. Although you could say the same about the opening ten minutes of American Werewolf in London, to be honest with you. <laughs> yes. Now that I think about it. It's, it's, it's definitely gone for some of the more extreme uh, <laughs> selections of our regional <laughs> what, accents. What is it with Werewolves and regional British accents, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Why does it bring out the best in the yokels? <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Is there anything else we want to say about werewolves, Scott? Werewolves, I think, are probably due a bit more of a renaissance compared to the, the, the amount of zombie films mm. we've had lately and the amount of vampire films that we're kicking around. Yeah. Uh, I think werewolves would be due a renaissance if it weren't for the fact that uh, Universal is so busy in <laughs> bed with the dark universe. Well, I thought, do you know what I mean? Because the whole vampire thing went through a huge phase and then, like you say, zombies everywhere at the minute. And, like, the biggest thing in cinema for a while there was Twilight which was 50% yes. vampires, 50% werewolves, and you thought, well, off the back of that, at least, let's have some let's have some spin-off werewolf action. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Not a thing. No. <laughs> absolutely bizarre. But yeah, um, like you say, <laughs> yes, Universal seem to be uh, determined to nail as many, um, oh, sorry, hammer as many nails into their own coffin there with yeah. that uh, dark, dark universe uh, stuff yes. as, uh, as they possibly can. So, um, yeah. I, I'm not even sure there's so many other werewolf films that I'd recommend. I think I think it may have been you that watched Ginger Snaps a while yes. back. That was okay. Ginger Snaps was good. Uh, yeah, but most of the rest of the werewolf films that I've seen, like The Howling and such mm. like that, they're they're just not really very good. Well, so, as as someone who against whom Emily Blunt has a restraining order, I have um, somehow <laughs> yet to find the time to watch uh, The Wolfman with Emily Blunt and Benicio del Toro, which I understand is absolutely rancid. But it's still got Emily Blunt in it, um, so there is that. I would like to say, by the way, well, we're um, before we go off topic entirely, um, or perhaps actually to steer somewhat off topic, uh, if truth be told, um, John Woodvine, who portrays Doctor Hirsch in American Werewolf in London, can all sat navs please have his voice? Yes. <laughs> 
That will be all. Um, yes. No, I, c- I was lamenting that the other day. The, uh, <laughs> the the lack of availability of sound packs for um, sat navs, yeah. which given that it's all just Google Maps using its uh, default voices, it's like you can't get Homer Simpson doing it or someone doing a really bad Christopher Walken impersonation <laughs> telling you what to do. <laughs> no, exactly. Gone are the days. Gone are the days of being able to update your sat nav with your own voice packs. Boo, boo. I think it's because they're all in. They're all uh, they're all built in uh, now, Scott. Yeah. Um, that's that's what it is. I tell you, I remember when all this were fields. I can't <laughs> think. What are the other good werewolf movies? But at least you're straining. To, uh, <laughs> I'm really trying to see it. <laughs> Cursed by Wes Craven. That was terrible. Uh, lots of things I've not seen. Curse of the werewolf. The the, the Mike Nichols one. Wolf from '94. There's not a lot of these. The Company of Wolves, I do have some friends who absolutely loved The Company of Wolves. Another Neil Jordan outing from 1984, which was... I, I did not get I'm sure, at all. I'm sure Wolf was Jack Nicholson. I don't think I've ever seen it, though. Don't quote me on that. Oh, of course, uh, Underworld, no. Rise of the Lycans. <laughs> oh, my favourite franchise. <laughs> I've never managed to stay awake during any of those films. <laughs> and Teen Wolf, of course. Company of Wolves. Teen Wolf. Of course, Teen Wolf. Well, Scott, I think that just about wraps it up for our lycanthropic endeavours. Yes, uh, one thing before we go. Uh, I remiss not checking for a little while, but a couple of weeks back, uh, Jerson did leave us a lovely five-star review on iTunes, so uh, thank you very much for that. And if anyone else would like to do so, I heartily encourage that sort of behaviour, but I'm not going to beg for it. Don't make me beg. Thank you very much for your five-star review. What will we be back with next, Scott? Next up will be our intermission podcast, which will be whatever we see between now and then, because at the minute it's looking a bit of a blank slate. So if you have any suggestions <laughs> of what we should be watching, uh, please give us a go. Give us a shout on Twitter. Um, we're on there at Fuds on Film, or even Facebook. It's facebook.com slash Fuds on Film. We'd be delighted to hear from you on either of those vectors. Yeah, and so I guess all that remains is for me to say thank you very much for listening. We will be back again soon. Uh, I was Craig Eastman, and Scott was Scott. Indeed I was. And until we speak to you again, take very good care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Ta-da!